Hi, everybody, and welcome to Your Next Great Read from the Okie Bookcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I'm on a mission to connect you with your next favorite book. That's what this show's all about. We're going to be talking about books we love and giving you reasons to love them, too. The goal is to introduce you to a ton of great books and hopefully connect you with a few that you can't wait to read. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, author, screenwriter, and favorite oldest daughter, Hannah Heron. Hannah, what's going on? What's up, guys? Our guest for this conversation is Andy Schultz. Andy, thanks so much for joining us on Your Next Great Read. Hi, thanks for having me. Before we get into our conversation about what we've been reading, Andy, tell us a little bit about just your reading journey so folks can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've just always loved to read ever since I was a kid. Um, I'm the youngest of all my cousins, so... From some cousin in the lineup, I got a hand-me-down set of all of the Babysitter's Club books, and I loved those. I just remember like summers and after school and in class, I always had a book in my hands. Um, So I've just always loved reading. I feel like I have this infatuation with words. Like I just love pretty words. I love that you can choose intentional words to totally change the way something sounds. So I just love reading, and I just love the escapism of it. And yeah. What kind of stuff do you like to read? I really like to read romances, like fluffy rom-com type books. And then I, on the other end of the spectrum, I love like a thriller mystery. Um, so I usually read one of those genres until I get sick of it and then switch to the other. And that's just the the endless cycle of it. <laughs> I think we all can relate to that endless cycle. We're excited to have you. Hannah, give us a quick rundown of the format before we get started. All right, guys. So. Um, Just a quick reminder of how this conversation is going to go. Remember, we talk about books in three rounds. So for the first round, we are going to talk about a book that we are currently reading and give you our early impressions on it. Then we will talk about two books that we've read in the last 30 days or so and give you our review and recommendation on those. We will end our conversation with the backlist pick. And this is one book each from a pre-assigned category, and it has to have been released at least five years ago. Let's go ahead and kick it off with round one. Andy, why don't you tell us what you are currently reading? Yeah, um, Hannah, you know all too well what I'm currently reading because we are in a book club together. And so today our book club meets to discuss um, Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. So I'm about halfway through that one. I got to kick it into high gear to get it done by Tuesday, (laughs) but um, I'm really enjoying it so far. This is my first read of hers, and it is about the Delaney family. So Joy and Stan are the parents, and they were this like tennis all-star duo, um, and they owned this tennis academy for a long time. They've got four kids who are all really great at tennis. And the story starts briefly after Joy and Stan have sold the tennis academy and they're just like venturing into retirement and what their lives look like without tennis. And basically at the start of the story, you find out that Joy has gone missing and that Stan is the most likely suspect. So it's kind of a story of the four grown children. Two of them kind of think their dad might have done it. Two of them are like, no way, couldn't have been him. Um, Stan maintains his innocence. So it kind of flip-flops back and forth between like this timeline of Joy having just gone missing and several months earlier. Also to make things more complicated, 
a couple of months before Joy goes missing, this girl, Savannah, shows up on their doorstep late one night with a cut on her eye, says that her boyfriend hit her, and she just like basically wandered to their house and ends up kind of staying with them. And everybody thought that was kind of weird. So it's these different timelines of you're trying to figure out why this girl showed up at their house, if she had anything to do with it. Um, as it gets further into the different points of view of each of the children, you kind of get glimpses of maybe some dysfunction they had growing up um, that may point to just some different family dynamics that you weren't aware of. So it's super interesting. One of those books where you like think you know what's going on and then the next chapter that gets flip-flopped completely. Um, and then you also have this totally unreliable narrator problem where each it switches from each kid's point of view from joy's point of view so you just never really know what's going on it's really interesting so far so i'm looking forward to finding out what happened i know hannah you already know what happened but yeah hopefully in a day or two i'll i'll be on the same page as you and have it figured out but i don't think i'm going to be able to figure this out yeah i will say i i had different speculations about how this book was going to end depending on which narrator was speaking the most at the time um, totally. And yet none of them helped me actually piece together what actually happened. <laughs> I love Leanne Moriarty. I think one of the really interesting things about her and her writing style is that she writes a lot of books with inherently unlikable characters. And yet she puts them in such an interesting situation that you don't care that they're not these super likable, morally sound people. You are fascinated with what is going to happen to them either way. But I, I've found with Leanne Moriarty, if you put those unlikable people in a really, really fascinating situation, then I will follow along to see what happens. I have enjoyed too in this book. She uses some interesting points of view where she'll have brief little chapters of people that are not involved in the story at all. So it'll be like, the waitress waiting on the four kids and like overhearing their conversation or like the hairdresser of the mom talking to somebody else about Joy's disappearance. So I think it's super interesting how she writes. Um, I agree with you. She walks the line really well because each time somebody's narrating, you like them and then it switches to somebody else and you're like, wait, maybe I don't like them. Like <laughs> the whole thing just goes back and forth a lot. It's really, really interesting. Anna, what are you reading? Okay, so I am reading something that's a little bit out of my normal wheelhouse. I'm actually reading a science fiction novella. I am reading a book called A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. This is the first in a series of novellas called the Monk and Robot series. It yep. is what I would classify as like utopian sci-fi, so very optimistic and the story follows a non-binary monk named Dex, and Dex has been a gardener by trade living in the city, but they decide that the city life is no longer for them. They have a whole conversation talking about how they miss the sound of crickets, and they miss wide open space, and they miss meeting new people. And so Dex decides they are going to switch their profession and become a traveling tea maker. And tea makers in this world are like the resident comforters, right? People go and get tea. I kind of equate it to like people go and get tea, like people in our world go to the bar on a Friday night. They go and kind of seek refuge with these tea makers. 
Dex decides they are going to be a traveling tea maker and they are going to explore more of the world and meet a lot of people. One other thing about this world that's important to mention is this is a society that used to function primarily revolving around robots. And so robots were a part of everyday society. Robots performed a lot of professions that people would normally perform. They worked the factories, um, but robots got tired of this. And so there was this whole revolution for the robots where they decided they wanted to reconnect with nature. And literally all robots one day just walked into the woods and never came back. And so robots are no longer a part of human society the way that they were before. This is important because on Dex's journey to become a traveling tea maker, they encounter a wild-built robot. And they become friends with the robot And the robot becomes a big part of Dex's story as they become this traveling tea maker and learn how to um, comfort people and make incredible tea and reconnect with um, a different form of lifestyle that's not as wrapped up in city life. This is a very sweet story. I'm about 75% of the way through it. And it's short. It's like a 160-page novella. But it's really just got some great dynamics. It makes you feel good about humanity. You love the friendship between Dex and the robot. You love Dex's kind of evolution as they learn how to be a tea maker and how to connect with different kinds of people in different kinds of situations. And overall, I've just found it to be a very like sweet, comforting read. The dedication on the very first page of this book says, dedicated to those who need a break. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, that's me. <laughs> and that's exactly what I've gotten from this book so far. So it's absolutely wonderful. I would recommend it to literally anybody. I love this book. And the other one is called A Prayer for the Crown Shy. I think I talked about Prayer for the Crown Shy months and months ago. They're just, you said sweet, I said nice. There's just something about... The way these characters are written uh, and the way the relationship is written and the way the relationship to the world is written that has conflict because it's a book and books have conflict, but it's not, it's not mean spirited. It's not aggressive. They are good at resolving things amongst each other in the world around them. And there's just something, my friend Catherine, who owns Second Story Books, described this book as a balm for the soul. And I really like feel that to have something like this that is so oddly human for a book that talks about things that aren't necessarily human, but is so focused on just the, the potential good. It's just, it's, they are beautiful books. And for those of you that are like, I would never read science fiction, you're talking about robots, whatever. Trust me on this. Trust Hannah on this. You would love this book. Because it really is about these characters and their interaction. It just happens to be set in a world where robots are running around doing things, or at least used to be. All right, Dad, why don't you tell us what you have been reading? One of the perks of being a D-list bookish journalist slash celebrity in Oklahoma is that occasionally these small presses will send me advanced copies of books to check out. Uh, and so shout out to Casey Dodd at Bell Point Press, uh, who I actually had a chance to talk to in an interview back in chapter 55. But she sent me a copy of a book that actually came out this week. I got it several weeks ago called This New Dark by Chase Derringer. 
Uh, Chase is an Oklahoma guy who now lives in Kansas. This new dark is, they describe it as true grit meets Twin Peaks. It's got that kind of eastern Oklahoma along the true grit trail, but there's some weird stuff going on, which is where the Twin Peaks comes from. It's got elements of kind of that southern gothic crime thing, like um, all the sinners bleed. But it also has this psychological horror element to it that is very Stephen Graham Jones in All the Good Indians, or The Only Good Indian. Uh, where there's just this this haunting sense of something otherworldly, creepy, beyond just folks doing life and, and running around in eastern Oklahoma. But it centers around three or four characters. There's a guy named Wyatt who is a weed grower. He is a not quite legal one yet. There's a boy who is living with him because he's been abandoned by his mother who enjoys weed quite a bit. So there's some of that unreliable, what's he actually seeing, what's actually going on. With those folks, there's a, a middle-aged woman who is living with her mom, taking care of her elderly mother, who is a court bailiff who accidentally becomes sheriff for a short period of time because of some things that go on. So you've got all these people that are circling around each other, but not quite connecting completely. And then in the midst of that, you have this fourth character who may or may not be a centuries-old ancient evil shapeshifter who is inserting some uh, problems into this small community. About a third of the way in, it's a slow burn kind of thing. There are The stories are interesting, but you get the sense that there is a collision coming, that all this stuff is going to come together in different ways. It hasn't yet, but the tension is continuing to build. And one of the things, Derringer is a fantastic writer. And you know what's great about small presses is they give folks who may write a little differently than the genre a shot. So this is very much a psychological horror, thriller, crime thing, but it's written with really interesting language. Andy, you were talking earlier about liking words. Um, it, so it's really well written. It's really interestingly written. And Derringer is also doing a fantastic job of just creating this tension where you know something's coming. There's this kind of haunting sense of creepiness that's weaving throughout this thing, but you don't know what it is yet. There's no there's no reveal that's happening early so that we can get to. And now the good guys go chase the bad guy. And, you know, we finish out the last half of the book that way. I don't know that I'm far enough into it to say you have to read this book. But if you're into those kinds of things, this new dark by Chase Derringer is definitely something we're checking out. That sounds awesome. I That's not my typical type of genre, but it sounds really interesting. And you made an interesting point about pace that reminded me of, surprise, surprise, The Long Walk a little bit, which you guys know is my favorite book. That never comes up. Yeah, only like once or twice an episode. Um, so here you go. Here's one. I'm cashing it in. The Thank Long you. Walk had a similar vibe atmospherically that you're talking about. And it also was slow. Like the beginning of that yep. book, I would categorize as slower. But there's something very foreboding in the atmosphere throughout. So as um, you're learning about the different characters, as different stories are being told, small plot points are playing out. It's building this sort of tension. Yeah. And I think that still works. I think when that's done really well, I don't mind it's a slower pace because I know that we're building up to something big. It's interesting because we hear all the time about how our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And and I think that happens in books, even though the average book length is actually getting longer, thanks to Rebecca Yaros and some others like that. Um, shout out. Shout there out. It is. You're welcome. 
But in those books, things still are happening at a pretty rapid pace. And so we're moving from scene to scene, from beat to beat. So these slow burn um, kind of tension filled books, I don't know that they have the same weight in the publishing world that they used to. But I think, like you said, when they do it well, when it's done well, and I think this one is, it it can keep you moving forward, even if there's not the next big thing happening that keeps you moving forward. Well, all right, Hannah, talk about uh, the couple of books you've read this month. Okay, so the first book that I want to talk about is a book that was recommended by a bunch of people on Book Talk. A lot of people that I follow and trust their recommendations very closely were saying, this is going to be my book of the year. You have to read this book. And so I was like, okay, fine. Uh, The book is called Ask for Andrea. It's by Noelle Ely. This is a serial killer thriller slash small mystery. Um, But what's unique about this book is it is written from the three perspectives of the three women who have fallen victim to this man. And they are deceased victims. So these are women who were killed by this man in the past. They are ghosts, but they're not like these like, like white sheep floating around ethereal kind of ghosts. They are, they're basically in their human form, but other, you know, alive humans can't see them. And so they're, limited in their ability to interact with the living, but their goal is to one, bring themselves to justice, right? Get this man behind bars, get the living to figure out what he's done. And also to protect the other women that he interacts with along the way and help keep them from falling victim to him as well. It's such an interesting story. Um, It is a great, just like fast paced serial killer thriller, but the unique aspect of it being told from a deceased victim's point of view it it adds to the interest a little bit but also one of the qualms that i just kind of had with it throughout was that the sense of hope was pretty fickle throughout the book because you're reading from the perspective of the people who didn't make it and so um their goal to have you know themselves be brought to justice like that's a great goal but at the same time it's like even if justice is achieved, they are still gone. Um, and so there, was, there wasn't there was a sense of hopelessness, I wouldn't say, but the sense of hope was much smaller. And I was just kind of sad throughout because, you know, as they're kind of going about this journey to try to like get him behind bars and to protect other women, that's great and that's fun and that's fast paced. But then also there were these moments where, you know, they would see a cat and think about the fact that, oh, their cat was home alone when they were mm. killed. And so who's going to take care of their cat? Just all of these things that they're thinking about now that I'm gone, who's going to take care of these things? What's this going to look like for my family? Things like that. And so you're just kind of sad throughout as well. If you love a like a fast paced thriller mystery, you will love this book. I'm going to say overall, it's pretty good because of just kind of that like sadness that kind of came with it. But if you go into it knowing that that's going to be part of what you feel and you want to read out the story anyway, I think you should absolutely read this book. That's interesting. I may give that a shot. I am well known for loving a happy ending. Like (laughs) I love everything to be tied up with a nice little bow in a happy ending every time movies, books, shows. Um, even when it's not super realistic, I just like to leave with the warm fuzzies. Um, my best friend, Devin, who has been a guest on this podcast before, she will read a book sometimes and I'll ask her how it was. And she'll be like, you would hate it. There wasn't a happy ending. 
I I love a happy ending, but this is interesting because there's more than one way they can get their happy ending, but not necessarily mm-hmm. the way that you would want. So I'm reminded of a couple of books, one from way back, uh, The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold, where yes. it's told from the perspective of the young girl who's murdered. And you, you find out the first thing out that she's been killed. And then a book I talked about a year or so ago called Shudder by Ramona Emerson. That was one of my books of the year for 2023. It's a fantastic book where this crime photographer is interacting with the ghosts of the the victims of these crimes that she's photographing. And again, that same thing of they don't have a lot of power, but can point in directions and help their murders be solved. It's a fascinating way to go at it, but you're right. There is that sense all along of they're still not going to be here at the end. Yeah, it feels like there's a caveat to any quote-unquote right. happy ending. What's your other one? So, my other one I'm super excited about talking about. I've been annoying to every <laughs> single person I've interacted with about books in the last month after reading this because I'm just very jazzed about it. But I read <laughs> I read episode 13 by Craig DeLouis. This is a found footage, very alternative format horror novel. And it is about a ghost hunting reality TV show crew that has uh, run their first season of this show. It's been semi-successful, but um, they really need to hit home and make it big with this final episode of the season in order to get renewed for a second season. The show is depending on episode 13 to really deliver in order to be renewed. So there's a lot riding on this episode 13. Well, for this episode, they have gotten access to a house called Foundation House. Foundation House is supposed to be extremely haunted. Um, And that is because several decades before, there was a group of scientists who were conducting semi-illegal human experiments that did not end well. And so the uh, ghosts and the presence of some of these victims of these experiments are um, apparently haunting this very old, decrepit, about-to-be-condemned house. And so this crew for the show has been given access to this house to see if they can interact with the supernatural and hopefully get their show renewed. I literally loved this book. First thing you should know is as far as the alternative format goes, so the book is told from each of the perspectives of the different crew members. So um, a husband and wife who are kind of the leads of the crew, they have an interesting dynamic because the husband is a true believer in the supernatural and is really trying to prove its existence. Whereas the wife is a scientist And she would love to prove the existence of the supernatural, but she herself is not necessarily a believer. And if she's going to prove it, she's going to do it with science, not just feelings. And so they have a really interesting dynamic. It's from their perspectives. It's also from the perspectives of cameramen and actresses and, you know, all the different kinds of people involved in this crew. It's told through email entries, journal entries, audio files, and then the actual found footage, which is written like a screenplay. So it's in like script format. All of these different pieces fit together in such an interesting and very, very creepy way. I would also love to mention this is one that is fantastic to audiobook. 
because they got different voice actors to voice the different characters. They play the sound effects. So if something is going to get like thrown up against a wall, they make that sound of something flying up against the wall. The ghost sounds are really creepy. They'll have music playing like a reality show would have music kind of creep in. Um, So it's, it sounds more like a uh, like a fictional podcast than an audiobook, and there's something just very fun and very creepy about that. Also, you will not guess the ending to this book. This is another one that keeps you on your toes the entire time and then delivers at the end. So if you like horror at all, you have got to read episode 13. I'm convinced. Um, after all of you are talking about this, but even more now, I love this found footage, lots of different kinds of media or writing styles. I mean, I think about Shark Heart by Emily Hobeck that we've talked about before, um, Head Full of Ghosts. I'm thinking about kind of that found footage side. I love folks who play with the format, who give us something inventive, not just in the story that they're telling, but in the way they're telling it. So sold. Well done. Yeah, I'm absolutely going to download the audiobook for this because this sounds so good. My favorite book of all time is Daisy Jones and the Six, which is like in interview format. And the first time I read it was over Audible because they got different voice actors for that as well. And so I just love when the Audible does a unique story like that justice instead of just being a reading of it. All right, Andy, why don't you tell us what you've been reading this last month? Yeah, definitely. Um, The first one I was going to talk about is The Girl in Cabin 13 by A.J. Rivers. It is a story about a girl named Emma Griffin, who is an FBI agent. And in the beginning of the story, she's on an undercover mission, operation, whatever you want to call it, and she massively screws it up. Um, So she blows her cover. She does what she's not supposed to do. So she gets back to work gets put on a desk, gets grounded from field work. So this story is about her first mission back in the field after being grounded, basically. And to be so honest, I rarely hate a book. I hated this book. (laughs) I will finish almost any book. And I did finish this book, but man... My mother runs a church security business. So to read a story where in this first operation she's on, that's just part of the premise, she has a gun and then they send her to this remote small town for the second mission. No backup, hours away from any backup at all. No gun. So just completely unsafe. She's like trampsing around in the woods after dark, trying to find clues. Just ridiculous. But anyways, The general storyline is that this small, small, small remote town has these people that just keep turning up missing. And there's only been two bodies found, but there's several, several missing people. So she's tasked with going to find the assumed serial killer. They're assuming these people are dead. So um, normally I wouldn't spoil a book, but I don't think anyone should read this book. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. (laughs) She shows up in this town and within two hours of being there, She's like flirting and falling in love with the serial killer himself, which was also a weird aspect of this book. I've never read a mystery where there's like such a quick romance and where like I've read a couple where there is a little romance involved. But this one, the romance was such a big part of the story, which makes sense when you find out that he is the killer. 
But then also, I felt like it was very obvious that he was the serial killer. Hannah and I have talked before about like loving a mystery that you don't really expect the ending, but you can go back and recognize the hints that you missed. Whereas in this book, the hints I felt like were really obvious. Like these little random things would happen that you just knew weren't right. And you're like, okay, that's clearly a hint towards something, you know? So I found out literally today from a client of mine that um, I read this book because I had thought I had heard the title so many times and heard such great things about it. And I was talking to a client of mine and I was like, yeah, I just didn't like this book. And she was like, yeah, I read that and I liked it. I was like, no, not possible. (laughs) And she was like, yes. And I love Ruth Ware. And I was like, no, it's not by Ruth Ware. She was like, yes. And I was like, no. And so we get on our phones and Google Ruth Ware has a very popular book called The Woman in Cabin 10. This is the girl in cabin 13. So the only reason I read this book was because I thought it was so popular. <laughs> and it's just the completely, this is the Kindle Unlimited knockoff of the woman in cabin 10, I guess. I don't know. So I'm going to have to actually read the woman in cabin 10, but not a fan of the girl in cabin 13. Yeah, it's so funny because when you first said that title, I immediately thought, oh, woman in cabin 10, this is such a good book. And then you started talking about it and I was like, no, not woman in cabin 10. Now I'm confused. What did she say? Um, you should read The Woman in Cabin 10 because Ruth Ware is amazing. That one was a letdown. But another book I read that I just finished a couple of days ago was The Long Game by Elena Armas. And she has been popular on Book Talk the past several months for her book, um, The Spanish Love Deception, which I haven't read yet, but that's going on my list for sure. We talked about fluffy rom-coms being my thing. I love them. I love a little bit of cheesiness that's not super over the top. Um, So this was definitely that. It was just a sweet read. It's about this girl, Adeline, whose dad owns a major soccer franchise, and she works for this franchise. And she has a slip-up, and her slip-up goes viral on the internet. So the company is kind of trying to recover from her viral embarrassment of the company, basically. And her dad ships her off to this small town in North Carolina and tells her to redeem herself. She basically has to go manage this smaller team. So she knows it's going to be a step down. She doesn't quite know anything else about what's happening. She gets there. She realizes the team she's going to be managing is a nine-year-old little league soccer team. So kind of fun. I've never read a book that had so much character development for kids. And so it was kind of fun that like these kids got to know her. Um, So that was a cool aspect. But anyway, she gets there and butts heads immediately with this man who is a recently early retiree from being an all-star soccer player. So obviously you kind of get the vibe from the beginning. They're going to get together. They definitely hate each other at first. This is like an enemies to lovers sort of situation. He is the coach of the soccer team. So she's the manager. He's the coach. They're trying to get this small town kids team a victory and a win. So it's just really fun and sweet. It's just a simple, cheesy rom-com sort of read. And I I really did like it. I think it's fun how um, even like silly, simple little stories like this can get you interested in things like different kinds of sports and stuff like that. Um, And I think rom-com is such a fun outlet to introduce people to stuff like that because where, you know, where else would you have learned about soccer or, you know, um, I think like Ted Lasso, like helped me fall in love with soccer. Um, or, you know, or even like Taylor Swift dating a football player. Now we all love football, you know, but it's like, 
these fun like romance things that we like to follow anyways can help us also explore um, things that we maybe otherwise wouldn't have. So I think that that can be a really fun dynamic, even for, you know, like you say, just a simple, fun little story with not much substance, but we eat it up, right? Somehow you've managed to get both Taylor Swift and The Long Walk into this episode. If you're playing along the Your Next Great Read drinking game. Yep. So I can officially check my boxes and uh, I'm going to head out. You guys have fun. Enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, We'll see you next month. Uh, My husband is absolutely sick of me saying I'm a Chiefs fan. He's like, you hate football notoriously. Don't even start. But yeah. Yeah, it's true. Different things that we like can get us into maybe not fully get us into sports. I still hate football and soccer too, honestly, (laughs) but this book was a fun read for sure. Jay, what have you been reading? So we're going to go away from predictable, feel good, (laughs) rom-com for a minute to no one's surprise, to no one's surprise. First book that I want to talk about was an interesting one for me. It's called Afterworld by Debbie Urbanski. This is a post-apocalyptic science fiction-y, but really more climate fiction. I'll talk about that in a second. Kind of read. It's near future, set up in a world where environmental collapse is accelerating. So humanity turns to AI and says, what can we do about this? And the artificial intelligence that they talk to says, well, it seems like the only solution to the problem is to remove humanity from the equation. The the solution that is presented is if humanity leaves Earth, the Earth will restore itself. It, all these things will get better, but you guys have got to get out of here. And humanity says, okay, and so decides to abandon the planet to let it heal itself with the exception of a handful of people who are called witnesses who are tasked with staying behind to see what happens and to record what they call the great transition, which is the earth kind of coming back to quote unquote, the way it's supposed to be. And these witnesses are observed and assisted in some ways by artificial intelligence that keep an eye on them, that record not just their journals and and what they see, but also record what the witnesses do as they live out their rest of their time on earth. So the story focuses around a young woman named Sen, who is tasked with being one of these witnesses. She does not want to be. And the other main character is the AI that's keeping an eye on her as she is living out the rest of her days. This is a time when resources start to become scarce. So end of days is not a long time for these witnesses because they can't hunt. They can't do the things that you might do to continue to get food because they don't want to harm the environment any further. We're talking a lot about kind of alternative formats. This one falls into that because you jump back and forth between Sin's story as a witness and what she's seeing and her frustrations with what she's seeing, what's not around anymore. So you've got kind of her journal entries. You also have the the artificial intelligence who is observing her talking in more of a computery kind of speak. It interacts back and forth with its master artificial intelligence, which sounds more like Terminatory than it probably should. So there's that. You also have interspersed flashbacks of what happened as the artificial intelligence says, well, humanity has to leave. And so kind of what all goes on to make that happen. There's also this kind of, it's almost for comic relief, a guy who's writing an encyclopedia of words we're not going to use anymore. That's his job. 
And as the book goes on, he gets more and more just frustrated and over the whole thing. And so it starts with him doing and here's what these words are and here's what they mean. And then eventually he's just completely unhinged and mad about things. And so he stops even worrying about the words and just starts telling us all the things he's thinking. Two thirds of the way through this book, I am thinking this is a fantastic book. I am into this. I like post-apocalyptic stuff that's just in. Um, and it is kind of a different take on some of this. The deeper into the book you get, the harder the climate message gets hit. And and I, I want to say I, I'm in. I understand we've got to do something about environmental problems. We've got to do something about climate change. It's been 80 degrees in Oklahoma in February the last week. So there's something going on. So I, I, this is not me saying climate change is stupid. There is a point at which you get beaten over the head enough about it in a book where you just kind of begin to shut down. And I think that's what happened here. It's almost like the author was afraid people aren't getting what I'm really trying to say in this book. And so she just kept hitting it harder and harder and harder, the deeper into it we got. So what could have been a really, really interesting book about the end of the world like this. And the one of the things that happens is the artificial intelligence begins to have feelings for this person that it's tasked with with watching. So there's some relationship kinds of things that happen that are just kind of a fascinating dynamic between the two. All of that begins to get lost towards the end because there's so much emphasis on humans are awful and look at what we did. So I, I recommend this book haltingly uh, because I do think it's a really, really interesting um, addition in the genre of post-apocalyptic and climate fiction. Just know going in, you're, you're going to get the message pretty hard towards the end of it. So that's Afterworld by Debbie Urbanski. It's such a challenge, right? Because I am a huge proponent of authors should use their voices and their platforms and their talents to advocate for things that they're passionate about and to, you know, advocate for social change and environmental change and political change. And I absolutely huge proponent of that. At the same time, we tread a pretty fine line with that before we lose people for being preachy. You you have to kind of find that delicate balance between am I getting my message across while still mostly focusing in the narrative and not beating people over the head with my you know agenda. I feel for authors when I kind of get that sense, sure, but at the same yeah. time, I'm also a reader, and so I also can kind of go, okay, that was too preachy. I don't, you know, I I didn't care for how that ended, um, or you know, I didn't care for how some of the things played out for the sake of pushing the agenda. You're right. It's a tightrope and it's such a complicated conversation. And I think some of it comes down to the things that when we read about stuff that we're really interested in, we're really into, we are more forgiving of that. Because I think about Chain Gang All-Stars that I talked about, I think last month, that's about um, racial injustice in the incarceration system. And and I was on board for all of it, but I've heard other people say, man, that was just too much and didn't like it because they were just beating that over the head. Well, that's an issue that I'm really, really interested in. And so maybe I'm more forgiving for more of that than than I would of something that I'm not as as invested in. I think, you know, we become more sensitive to it because we are hit over the head with these issues all of the time now. If you pay attention to social media at all, you just you're hearing this stuff all the time. And at the same time, you have authors who are wanting to tell their version of the story or their um, they want to get into the thing that they're passionate about. And so we as readers, I think, also have to be a little bit forgiving of just because we feel like we're being beaten over the head with it. It might not be this book that's doing it. 
I, I, I still stand by, I think this was a little bit much, but I think that that dynamic in the world makes it even more complicated for authors who are trying to say something beyond telling a great story in a world where we are just getting hit with that stuff all the time. Yeah, this reminds me of like every television show in 2021 and 22 that <laughs> yeah. it was like absolutely just had to write in COVID. And it was like, okay, you have this thing you need to address, but if you make it the whole storyline of the show, you just lose people because people are like, we just lived this and it sucked. Like, I don't want to <laughs> relive this in my method of escapism. Yeah. Well, and I think you make a great point there, Andy, about we we read to escape. And I, I'm i not one of those that only reads to escape. I mean, I, I want to be pushed to think about things and I want to be engaged in, you know, a lot of the stuff that we read. We don't read to feel good. But that, again, we keep talking about that line is so complicated and so hard to uh, to navigate. And I think everybody's response to it is individual. And so that's why I would say, if you're interested in this genre, read the book, uh, decide for yourself. Don't let me tell you this is bad because I don't think it's bad. I just, for me, it was more than I needed, if I can say it that way. Second book, shifting gears away from that, uh, is called Eyes of the Void by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Like Hannah talks too much about The Long Walk, I talk too much about Adrian Tchaikovsky, and I don't apologize for it. He is maybe the best science fiction author operating right now, certainly in the worlds that he creates. This is the second in his Shards of Earth series, so I don't want to get too much into plot details because it'll spoil stuff in the first book. But the thing about Tchaikovsky that is unbelievable to me is his ability to create worlds that are different, that are unique in these kind of you know, sweeping giant space operas, but that work, that you you believe and you believe the way that different species and races interact and you believe the the cultural traditions that he writes in he's the and i'm a sociology guy so here we go but he writes cultures and he writes um interactions and he writes language patterns and all of these things that just make it feel more plausible and again one of the things that's brilliant about him is he's got lots of different series they are all very different they're all very unique but every one of them works in the same way so I'll start here and then I'll talk a little bit about the book. If you are a science fiction space opera fan and you're not reading Tchaikovsky, you should absolutely be reading Tchaikovsky. This particular uh, Eyes of the Void Shards of Earth series is set in a, a universe where the Earth has been abandoned because an alien race showed up and broke it. The people who were able to escape from Earth before uh, the, the Earth was destroyed have spread out into the cosmos and over centuries have adapted and evolved into things that are still human, but have changed cultural traditions. Um, some have adapted more to long-term space. Some have adapted to different gravities and different environments. So they're spread out across the cosmos. They've run into other races and alien species that exist out there. And the, the books are political in the interactions between these different groups and factions, but also uh, there is a, a military element to it. So it focuses on the crew of this uh, space freighter salvage ship. That's a, a mixed crew of different species who find themselves initially caught up in the politics and eventually caught up in the more military side of it. When the alien race that destroyed the earth shows back up and begins to wreak havoc across other planets, I don't want to get too 
much deeper into it because you start to spoil things pretty quickly. But I, I will just say, again, the world this guy creates, the uh, there's humor in it. There is tons of just really smart interactions. The politics aren't boring. Sometimes you hear politics in books and go, never mind. No, thank you. It all works. It all moves at a really fast pace. And it's these are really long books. We were talking earlier, Hannah, about things that kind of are slow and tense. These are not. Like these are things are happening one after another, after another, after another, which propels you through the book. So again, uh, this one's called Eyes of the Void by Adrian Tchaikovsky. You can start anywhere with him and you cannot go wrong. Wait, Dad, do you like Tchaikovsky? Stop I didn't it. know. It's I hadn't heard that walk. before. Yes, okay. Walk. I'm a- okay, now you brought it up this time. So if you're playing well, the drinking game at home, I don't know if that counts. I, I'm a little concerned suddenly that we've decided that there is a drinking game that's happening. <laughs> Let's not encourage that kind of behavior. Okay. Well, on that note, we've gotten to our backlist pick. You guys have come up with a really interesting category this time, and we've already talked about some things that fit into it. So I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from here. The category is books that are written in an alternative or unique format. And remember, these are backlist books. So stuff that's at least five years old. Andy, you helped create this category. So let's start with you. I've come to love books with a unique format. Um, so the one I picked is, is All the Missing Girls by Megan Miranda, which was released in 2016. So this was actually the first book I read in an alternate format, and I loved it. Um, Also the first Megan Miranda book I read, and now I love her mysteries. I haven't read a single one I didn't like. So this book is about a girl named Nicolette, Nick for short, Um, and it starts this It starts with this introductory chapter where it kind of sets the scene for her present, like current day life. She's kind of self-made, successful. She's got this apartment. She's got a fiance, but you can kind of feel this undertone of like, she's maybe not totally happy and maybe doesn't let herself be totally content with her life. Um, So it sets that up. And then she gets this phone call from her brother who still lives in the small town she grew up in. And he calls her and says, basically, you know, our dad is getting older. He is kind of losing it a little bit mentally. You've got to come home and help me out. And she is like very reluctant and does not want to go home, but she makes this decision. She's got to go home. She's got to help out her family. So you kind of come to understand pretty early on that she does not like going home, doesn't like talking about her past because when she was a senior in high school, her best friend Corinne went missing and was never found. And that is your introductory chapter. And then the book immediately jumps forward two weeks. So you know from like the back of the book sort of like preview summary that another girl goes missing while she's back home. It jumps forward two weeks. The town has been trying to figure out where this second girl has gone. Her name is Annalise. And from that two-week point, the book works backwards from like start to finish one day. And then it goes to the day before and keeps going backwards until you get to the first day that she arrived back in her hometown. So I really, really loved this book. I've read a lot of mixed reviews on this book, actually. And I do think you have to read this book quickly to like it because it can be a little confusing. But um, I flew through this book because I couldn't put it down. And so I loved it. But I can see how if you're a slower reader, you pick up a book once a week or once every couple of days, this book could lose you potentially um, just because you really have to be on top of what's going on. But it's a fine line to walk with these alternate format books. And I thought Megan Miranda did it really well. And 
she did it in a way that confused you in all the right ways. I love the way you said that it confused you in all the ways you want to be confused. I, I am, am a big fan of this working backwards. I immediately think of uh, Memento, the Christopher Nolan film. Uh, and there's a book by a guy named David Maine called Fallen that tells the Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel story starting at the end and working back through those early couple of chapters of Genesis and each chapter steps back. And it's, it, it is fascinating to watch that progression. And it's such a difficult thing to accomplish to give enough information to kind of keep you seated in what's going on, but also to keep you turning the pages to see, okay, how did that happen? What's going on now? Or what went on before actually in this case? I was just thinking, I cannot imagine the plotting process that went into outlining this story because outlining a mystery in general is so hard. You have to figure out how to strategically plant the clues. You have to figure out how to add the twist. But then how do you do that and then tell the story in reverse? I thought she did it really well. And I definitely noticed while reading it how it could have been done not as well. Like she, I just thought it was really, it showed her talent as a writer. I thought there's a way it could have all gotten lost and jumbled, but I thought it came together really well. She would like introduce a character at the end of a chapter and then you jump to the day before and that's the day that that character maybe showed up or things like that. So she had a great pace to it. I thought that is my backlist pick. Um, Jay, what was yours? I am so excited to have an excuse to talk about this book. Uh, my backlist pick is House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielewski. This book is is brilliant. It is complicated. It is definitely the product of a mind that does not work like most of ours work, but in all the best ways. The story of the book operates on two tracks, and it's kind of a found footage thing. I mentioned earlier, I was going to talk about this. One of the tracks is the the story of this thing called the Navidson Record which chronicles a family that moves into a house and over time begins to realize that the house is bigger on the inside than it looks on the outside. And that starts very subtly, like a few inches or a foot, and turns into rooms and chambers and stories, floors that don't exist, and hallways and staircases and just all kinds of crazy stuff. So in this, you have the exploration of this house by this documentary film crew trying to figure out what in the world's going on and to just explore the entire thing. In the meanwhile, as they are doing this, they are, one, becoming more and more obsessed with figuring out what's going on, but also sanity is beginning to slip a little bit when you walk into a house and then realize you are walking miles and you are still in the same house. That's going to start to mess with you a little bit. So you have that, and then you have on the other track, this guy who works in a tattoo shop who finds an incomplete manuscript of papers written about the documentary. And so he is trying to figure out how it applies to him and, and what actually happened and what's going on. And so, again, you have these themes of obsession as he's really wanting to sort this out. But also what's really happening, his sanity begins to slip as he begins to explore and find out more and more about this house. That stuff's really interesting. But what is nuts about this book, and I'm going to, I pulled a couple of pages up to show the two of you, and I know that we're on audio and no one else can see what we're seeing. We'll share some of these images maybe. 
it's kind of hard to see. But um, what's nuts about this book is the format of it. So he changes fonts, changes colors, certain words or characters or speakers have their own font, have their own color. Um, there are pages where you have, as I was showing you, you have text. And then inside that text, you have a text block that is different. In some cases, that text block is written backwards. You have columns running down the sides of these pages that are lists of names or lists of other information that are going in the other direction. And then you have pages like this one that have almost nothing on them except for one line at the top of the page and one line at the bottom of the next page that is upside down. Um, you have pages that spiral. And so you're turning the book over and over and over again as you read it. It is, it's fun to read if you're into that. And if you are not into that, it is a nightmare to read. Uh, so this is one of those books, no one is neutral about House of Leaves. If you've read it or started to read it, you either are all in and love it, as I do, or you are all out and no thank you. It's fascinating. Daniel Lewski was so concerned that the book looked the way he wanted it to look, that he wrote it, he got it to the publisher, and then when it came time to produce it, he actually went to New York and did all of the print setting himself. And so he not just wrote it, but actually created what the physical form of the book looks like. This is one you don't want to read on an e-reader because, man, that would get frustrating. But if it's intriguing at all, go to your local bookstore, pick up a copy, take a look at it. And again, if it's intriguing, and I think it is, Check it out. If you look at it and go, no, thank you, then put it back and you've learned something and you will have lost an amazing story. But there are lots of others of those out there. Yeah, I am itching to get my hands on a copy of that book now. <laughs> that is so fun. It's like it's wild. a book and a puzzle all in one. That's what yeah. could possibly be better. Yeah. The the person who turned me on to it is like, you are going to love this, but just know that it's going to take a minute to read. Because you do have to kind of wade through. And there's lots of pages where there's very little text, but there are other things you've got to figure out as you go. And so the the puzzle of the story is one thing, but the puzzle of the book is a whole other. I I could go on. I love this book. That's so cool. High commitment level. <laughs> yes. It absolutely <laughs> is that. It really shows when authors do stuff like this, that it's like an art form to them and not just writing right, a story. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It's about the whole experience for the readers, which I really appreciate and respect. And I think it's so cool to see when more gets put into it like that. That's a great way to put that. Yeah. Anna, what about you? What's your alternative format book? Okay, so I want to talk about a book called Monster by Walter Dean Myers. Um, this book was published in the late 90s. I believe 1999 was when it was first published. It is written mostly as a screenplay, so it's mostly in script format with the occasional third-person prose kind of mixed in as needed. Um, and this formatting is tactical, and I'll tell you why. So story follows Steve. Steve is 16 years old. He is black. He is from Harlem. He is from a tough family situation, a tough financial situation. Um, but Steve really wants to be a screenwriter. He's incredibly creative and he's a great writer. Steve, unfortunately, is arrested and put in jail, charged with robbery and murder. And from the get-go of the story, Steve is claiming his innocence. He claims he didn't do it. 
but he is currently in jail and he is going through his trial. And so the story takes place in only two different settings. We have the jail and the courtroom. And it is written as a screenplay because it is written as if Steve was writing what was happening to him and what was happening in his court case as if it were a movie. And so he's writing his own story as he kind of sees it play out in film form. I love the fact that it's written as a screenplay because the way that you actually see what is happening to him and what's happening in the courtroom and what's happening in jail and the discrimination that's occurring you experience that in a different way from this format than I think you would if it was all prose. It would still be interesting as all prose because you'd have kind of the headspace a little bit more specifically of the characters because I do think that's the one thing um, that falls maybe a little bit flat is that as far as the supporting characters, you don't get as many dynamics from them in the script format. I'm okay with that though because of the way that you can visualize the scenario in a really interesting way and experiencing the hardships that are presented in this story in a very unique way through this format. This book is extremely honest. This book really shows an important side of racism in the justice system. It was written in the 90s, but unfortunately, so much of this is still prevalent today. Um, And so I think this is a very important read for anyone and everyone. Like I said, it's not perfect as a story as a whole. There are some characters that fall a little bit flat for you. There are some um, moments that you just experience in a different way because of the format than you would otherwise. But I highly, highly recommend this book. You know, this is one that I have heard about forever. And for whatever reason, just haven't ever, ever picked it up. But uh, I, I love, again, this alternative format thing. And I think the, the script format really works in certain kinds of books. And maybe that's part of the challenge, right? And the reason we don't see it all the time, I don't know that the script format would work, for example, in a fuzzy rom-com because you're going to lose the, the feeling side of it and some of that. But when you're really trying to progress a story and talk about, this is what happened, this is what's happening. It's a great way to do it because by its nature, that format propels things forward. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of Your Next Great Read. Andy, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Hannah, great stuff as always. Great stuff as always. The long walk. Had to get it in one more time. (laughs) Thank you. We'll put that on the tally sheet. Remember, folks, you can find links to all the books we talked about in the show notes and on okiebookcast.com slash next read. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Bookcast newsletter for more news and recommendations that are coming straight to your inbox. And speaking of, on March 1st, keep an eye on social media and the Bookcast newsletter for a big announcement about the Bookcast that I won't spoil anymore uh, at this point. So just a couple days from now, uh, be sure to check on social media. And uh, if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, now is the perfect time to do so to find out what's coming in the days ahead. And until then, go find something good to read.